0: Patrick said, we are studying, studying the book of John, and so if you have a copy of God's Word, copy of the Bible with you, look at John chapter 21, the last chapter of the book of John. Now, as Mark said, next Sunday night we'll be having the uh, notes of joy, and then the following Sunday we will finish uh, this book of John. Tonight we're looking at John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Jesus has been crucified. He has arisen. He has appeared to the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. He appeared to Thomas. Now Thomas believes. And then John finished chapter 20 by saying these are just some of the stories. Uh, Whole volumes, whole libraries could be written about what Jesus has done. And now we pick up the story in verse 1, chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will also go, come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood at the beach Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. And so they cast, and when then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And therefore that disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out of the land, on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Pray with me. And Father, tonight as we take the story, and Father, as we examine it, again, help us that we will see it with our minds' eyes, that Father, we will see what took place historically. But then, Father, help us to see how it applies to us today, each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. in movies there's something called a post-credit scene getting very popular now and what that is after the movie is finished as they're rolling the credits somewhere either in the middle or the very end of the credits they will show some more of the movie now for those who are trivia buffs the first time this was ever done was in a 1966 movie called the silencers featuring dean martin he played a, a spoof of a, a James Bond movie. He played a character named Matt Helm. And at the, it, during the middle of the credits, there was Dean Martin saying, Matt Helm will return. Later, Marvel Cinematic Universe really made a big deal out of this with the movie Iron Man. And now almost all, every Marvel movie, you have to wait until all the credits to see those post-credits scenes. And here's why they do those post credit scenes. The movie is finished. The movie is over but somehow there's a question you have it may be a question that took place in the movie and you're looking at one another saying well they didn't answer that question or maybe that you're wondering what what about now what's going to happen to these characters now john 21 to me is like a post-credit scene because at the end of chapter 20 the disciples have seen jesus they receive their assignment thomas made that that proclamation my lord and my god john makes this proclamation that therefore many other signs jesus performed and which are not written in this book and these so many uh i write these these things you may believe it looks like at the end of chapter 20 that's the end of the book it's almost he could have stopped it there and then in chapter 21 they're by the seaside it's like a post-credit scene because there are some questions we have If we've been looking at this book, I'm sure there's some questions you might have. There's some questions I I would have as I'm looking at this. For example, what happened to the disciples? They met Jesus, but what about their guilt? They ran away from Jesus. What about Peter? He denied Jesus three times. Yes, Jesus brought him in, but is it going to be the same? Is it going to be the same relationship? How are they going to continue doing the work? Jesus told them what to do, but how are they going to have the power? There are a lot of questions I would have if it ended in chapter 20. I'm sure the disciples are feeling guilt. Remember, they ran for way, they ran away from Jesus. I, I'm sure Peter is really suffering from guilt. C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape letter, Letters describes Satan's strategy: he gets Christians to become so preoccupied with their failures from then on, the battle is won. So, what happened to Peter? And so we pick up this story with Jesus about to have breakfast with the disciples. I want you to look at this t- this evening. It begins with a special appearance. Begin uh, this very special appearance. And John is very clear that Jesus is coming to appear to them. And there are several things. He talks about this special appearance. It begins with, it was a personal experience, uh, a personal appearance. He says in verse 1, After these things, Jesus manifested himself or revealed himself again to the disciples. And then he says it again. He said he manifested himself in this way. Now, that word manifest, that word reveal, in the Greek language means to make clear, to make visible. Jesus is going once again to appear to the disciples so there is no doubt that it is him. And then, John says, he appeared again. He, again, Jesus comes to them again and again and again. I want you to understand something tonight. Our Lord Jesus does not come to play hide and seek. Our Lord Jesus is not trying to move away from you tonight. He's trying to bring you to him face to face. Our Lord Jesus comes to us. He meets us at our point of need. He reveals himself in many, many ways. The most obvious way he appears to us is in the scripture. As you read the scripture, you will see the Lord Jesus. He appears to us in our prayer. As we are praying, the Lord will appear to us to reveal himself. It may be in a song, God will reveal himself. Whatever it may be, he appears Please understand that this this day that God wants us to know him. And in those words, as John said, he revealed himself. He manifested himself again. Over and over and over. He's coming back to the disciples to show them that he needs them and wants them. But not only was it a personal appearance, it was a planned appearance. Because then John begins to explain what happened before the breakfast. It begins in verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, he's on to the other disciples, I am going fishing. Now, there have been so many people I wonder what, John, what, what Peter meant. Well, what does he mean, I'm going fishing? I mean, some people, and I've heard some say that he is giving up the ministry. I'm going back to what I, I did. I'm going back to my profession. That's what some people will interpret. Some people believe that, that what Peter is saying is that it's pride. He said, I am going and they, they talk about how, oh, this is a prideful moment of Peter. I'm going. I'm, you're not. I'm going. So, some will say, no, he's the leader. He's saying, look, I am the leader. I am going to go fishing. And maybe they're right. But I, I, probably the best explanation, he's hungry. Maybe he's just hungry. I, I know he doesn't think he's out of the ministry because guess where he's at? He's at Galilee. Where does Jesus tell the the disciples to meet him? In Galilee. He's exactly where Jesus told them. So I don't think he's leaving the ministry. I don't think he's filled that much of a failure. And I don't think there's that arrogant of saying, I. He says, look, I can do this. I I fed you before. This has been my job. His words is just expressing this intention. I'm going fishing. I know how to fish. And Jesus said, I meet you in Galilee. And Peter, so impetuous, is saying, I'm tired of waiting. So I'll go fish. Guys, you stay here and let me know when he comes. But they said, Bert's three, Well, we'll also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. <laughs> These professional fishermen, familiar with this region, they know all the spots, fishing at the best time during the night, came back empty-handed. This was not a good night to be a fisherman. And while they're out there, we find Jesus, verse 4. When the day was now breaking, in other words, they'd been fishing all night, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He's too far away. That's what it means. So Jesus said to them, verse 5, children. You do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, "No." There is Jesus on the beach, and they're way out there, maybe hundred yards out there, and he calls out to them. And what's interesting, he calls them a name he's never called the disciples before. "Pedia, pedia." The word means children. Why is he calling them children? I mean, that's it's not an insult, but why is he calling them children? Or another translation boys uh, or lad some scholars believe that this was an expression of older experienced fishermen talking to younger inexperienced fishermen i love that because that would explain a lot here's jesus calling them like hey i'm the master fisherman have you caught anything and they said well this guy must be the master fisherman and he must know what he's doing and and they answered no and by the way, if you think about it, Jesus was the master fisherman. And by the way, the form of the, the question in the Greek means he's, he needs for them to say a negative answer. He phrases it in such a way they are going to have to say no. You have not caught anything, have you? No, we haven't caught anything. He wants them to understand they have caught nothing. Verse 6. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. And so they cast and then were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Jesus calls out to them, if you caught anything, no, we've been fishing all night. Take your nets and throw it on the right side of the boat and you'll catch something. Without hesitation, they do it. Why? Because they think he's the master fisherman. He just called them children. And so they do what he said. They don't know he's Jesus at this moment. They just think he's a good fisherman. They throw the net over, and there's so many fish they cannot bring the net in. What's, what's going on? What is Jesus showing them? Well, for some, he's showing them the, the creative power. He is demonstrating them he can do all things. He's also showing his omnipotent power. He can guide the fish wherever he wants them. God can do whatever God wants to do. He's showing his omniscient power. He knows exactly where the fish are. He is showing his power over nature. He's showing his power over all things because he's the king of kings. And so they throw the net over their boat on the right side, and they start pulling in, and they cannot pull it in. There are so many fish. And the word that John uses here is they're tugging. They're straining their muscles to bring it in. They are dragging it. With all their power, they cannot bring this, this haul of fish in. Later, John tells us how many. Verse 11, he tells us, he said, by the way, there's 153 fish. (laughs) Now, again, it's always amazing to me how people want to explain things. Through the years, people have tried to explain why it's 153. One guy, a man named Jerome, he said there was 153 types of fish in that ocean. Now, by the way, he didn't know that. And you will still see that in commentaries. He didn't know that. He just said it. And he said, this is symbolic of all the people around the world. Another guy by the name of uh, Cyril of Alexander, he said, well, this represented God and the church. He said, there's a hundred, that's the fullness of the, the Gentiles, fifty is 50th remnant of Israel, and three represent the Trinity, therefore the church. Augustine came up with his own formula. He said, oh, well, this represents the law. One of the most creative theories I've read uh, is that the J- Jewish people did something, I think it's pronounced gematria. is communicating with numbers, where you take numbers and, and, and find letters with it. And, the, and, and you take the, the, the 153 and you add up the letters, you get, uh, add, put the letters to it, you've got Elohim, and that means I am the Lord. And they say, oh, this is a symbolic message. Here's my answer. They're fishermen and they counted the fish. We couldn't pull the net in. We better count how many fish we have. They count 153. And by the way, that's a miracle. You cannot catch 153 fish in one haul. This is a miracle. And not only is that a miracle, in verse, in verse 7, John says the net didn't break. That's the other miracle. There's a lot of miracles going on in the story that we miss. They catch all these fish. They cannot. The net doesn't break, and they're pulling it in. And then John figures it out. Verse seven, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, John John is so humble, he will not say, it's me. Whenever you see that phrase, he's talking about himself, but he just says the one that Jesus loved. He says to Peter, it's the Lord. John figures it out. Why? Because John said, wait, didn't we do this before? This deja vu all over again? When, When Jesus first met us, Didn't he tell us to cast a net and pull in the fish? John figures it out. He tells Peter. What does Peter do? Peter does what Peter always does. Without thinking, he does something. He heard that it was the Lord he put on his outer garment for his trip for work and threw himself into the sea. He, He puts on his tunic and jumps in the water to go see Jesus. And I am so sorry. I cannot help but think of Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan. Okay, that's in my mind. I'm just going to go. I'm going to swim to him. And so he is swimming to see Jesus. And the other disciples came in the little boat, and they were not far from land, and they were dragging these fish. And John sets all this up, telling this story to show us how Jesus prepared the meeting. When Jesus was there, and Peter and the other disciples arrived on the shore... Look what Jesus had prepared for them. He had worked out all the details, verse 9. So when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. By the time they arrived, Jesus was prepared. And by the way, God doesn't waste words. Every word is important. John said he had a charcoal fire burning. There's only one other place in the book of John that word charcoal is used. We looked at it a few weeks ago. When Jesus was in the trial and Peter was in the courtyard, he was warming himself next to a charcoal fire. Can you even imagine Peter as he's running to Jesus and he sees the fire and he smells the fire and he remembers. I betrayed him. While he was in trial, while he was being scourged, I was warming myself next to a fire. Peter's failure took place by a charcoal fire. And Jesus has now prepared a charcoal fire to have breakfast with Peter. Also, did you notice what was there? Jesus had fish. The very thing they were spent all night trying to catch without success. These professional fishermen couldn't catch anything. They come on shore and Jesus has fish. Where did he get the fish? It doesn't say. But you have to imagine the disciples are looking at one another and they're thinking, we've struggled all night without success and he has fish. This wasn't a random appearance. This was a prepared event. This was a personal event as he is showing them many different things. And so the story begins with a special appearance, but it ends with a special message. Jesus is going to tell them. And what Jesus is doing throughout this story, he is telling them, I still will use you. You say, well, where where is that? Well, look at verse 10. Jesus said, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Guys, bring me the fish you caught. He didn't have to use their fish. Jesus had fish. If Jesus wanted to, he could have had it rain fish. He could have done anything imaginable, have all the fish imaginable. But he says, bring me your fish that you caught. Did you notice that? Did they really catch it? I mean, Jesus told them where the fish was. All they did was through the net. And they brought in what Jesus told them to do. Who caught the fish? You see, here's the principle. Again, we see it all through the scripture. God will do what God can do, and we need to do what we can do. God is going to bring the souls to us, but we have to go out. God is going to bring the, the increase, but we have to go share our faith. We must do what we can do so that God can do what God can do. He's telling the disciples, bring the fish that you caught. We're still going to work together, guys. We're still going to, I'm still going to use you. I need you to do my kingdom work. And not only did he involve them, he invited them. Because the next verse, he says in verse verse 10, bring some of the fish which you have caught now. And then he said, verse 12, come and have breakfast Now, I don't know if this is amazing to you. And and sometimes I think we read the Bible too fast. Here is the Messiah, the King of Kings. He has conquered death. He has risen from the grave. He has a kingdom in mind that he was going to build. He was going to send the disciples all over the world to share his message. And now he's having breakfast. You wouldn't think that would be on the agenda. But he's going to have breakfast with them to remind them, guys, I'm still going to use you. He said, come. Let's have breakfast. I'm convinced that may be one of God's favorite words, the word come. Noah, after he built the ark, God said, come in and find safety. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, you will find rest. The last chapter of the Bible, it says to the spirit and the bride says, Come, let him who hears come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take a free gift of water of life. Over and over again, we see God inviting us to come to him. Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm not through with you. This is the last meal. Remember, the last meal they had together was the Passover. Now we find this meal their similarities Jesus is still serving them this breakfast is a validation that Jesus had forgiven them and they could work so tonight i want to give you just some key lessons that these disciples learned from this event if you're going to serve christ number 1 if you're going to serve christ you must realize your insufficiency in christ's all sufficiency if you're going to serve Christ, you must realize your insufficiency in Christ's all-sufficiency. These disciples were professional fishermen, but they didn't catch any fish. I mean, even when Jesus said, you didn't catch any fish, did you? They, they had to say no. They had to admit, we have not caught anything. They had to admit, we are insufficient to do this job. You see, the moment you realize you can't do something, that's when God can use you. As long as we think we have the power, as long as we think we're smart enough, as long as we think we have enough talent, God really can't use us that much. We have to come to that point that we are insufficient to do God's work, that we are never be able to use God, do God's work on our own power. Once we learn that we are insufficient, guess what we are going to do? We rely upon him. You see this in Paul's writings all, all the time. For example, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, not that we are adequate in ourselves. Now, Paul was one of the smartest men who ever lived. He said, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our, accuracy, uh, our adequacy is from God. Paul says, I can't do it, but God can do it through me. Until we realize and recognize that we are insufficient and God is all sufficient, we're not going to do his work. Now, please understand, that shouldn't mean that we don't do anything. Sometimes people think they're insufficient, and they don't do anything. Well, I can't do it, so I won't try. Now, I'm not saying that. We have to try. We have to work. We have to get up. We have to go witness. We have to share our faith. We have to work. We have to minister. We have to teach. But you can't do it in your own power. You cannot be paralyzed and do nothing. Or some people say, well, I'm insufficient, so I need more training. And they go out and get more training and they read more books and then more, I mean, uh, studies but they don't do the work. I mean, Peter and the other disciples could have thought, hey, we need a professional fisherman to teach us how to fish. No. We didn't catch any fish but we're going to do what Jesus says. You can do all that you need. Listen, we need all the training we can get. Trust me. But at the end of the day, apart from God, we can do nothing. Secondly, To serve Christ, we must obey his commands. To serve Christ, we must obey his commands. All through the book of John, whenever the disciples were obedient to God, something happened. Whenever they were obedient to God, God did miracles. We cannot serve God and not obey God. The disciples learn in the book of John that even in the little areas those little things like casting a net something they knew how to do since they were a child but they had to be obedient when god said do it whatever god tells you to do you need to do it in obedience for god to use you third to serve christ effectively we need fellowship with christ to serve christ effectively we need fellowship with christ Don't miss this. We talked about that this morning. You see, they had breakfast with Jesus. I mean, they had a lot of work to do. They had to go save the world. But they had fellowship with Jesus. This morning, we talked about Martha and Mary. There was fellowship with Jesus. You need fellowship with Jesus if you're going to be effective for Jesus. I mean, Jesus, this invitation that he gives to them, hes to come and have breakfast. It's almost the the same invitation found in the book of Revelation, the, the church of Laodicea. Remember when Jesus was talking to that church? He said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him, and he with me." It's the same invitation. We need to have time that we have fellowship with Christ. Our temptation is to spend so much time working for Christ, we forget our fellowship with Christ, and we burn out. You cannot produce what you don't take in. We need to have fellowship with Christ. And connected to that is the last one. To serve Christ, we need to let him minister to us. To serve Christ, we need to let him minister to us. Jesus prepared the breakfast. He had the fish prepared. He had the bread prepared. He served them. Now, at the Passover, Peter didn't want him to serve him. This time, they don't don't care. They know who he is. He didn't protest at all. They allowed Jesus to minister to them. We will never be able to serve Christ effectively if we don't let him minister to us and heal us and love on us and help us. And sometimes I think we just need to slow down and sometimes just stop and be very quiet before God and let him minister to our souls. Because we're too busy, and we're falling by the wayside, and so tonight, wherever you are, based on this passage, I can tell you, God is not through with you yet, and He's still calling on you. Wherever you are, for some, you're not saved; you're not a believer. God is calling you; He hasn't given up on you. For some, it's uh, to to serve. You think I can't serve, God is calling you to serve. For others, it may be that you think you've messed up and God can never use you again. According to this passage, I can tell you God isn't through with you yet. He's inviting you to come to him for forgiveness. Just as he did to the apostles to say, I forgive you and I will use you. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus talked to Peter specifically to show Peter, it's not over, Peter. As long as you have breath on this planet, it's not over. Would you stand and bow your heads? As I said, one of the favorite words of our Lord is the word, come, and he's saying, come to him. And tonight, those of you who are here in person, or those online, there's an invitation for you. If you're watching online, he's calling on you to come to him. By admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died for you, was buried on the third day of And by confessing, choosing, choosing to follow him with everything. If you would like to give your life to Christ in a personal way, if you would just text the word today at 270398 five zero zero five and a minister will give you a call but if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to christ will you do so tonight or maybe you need to join this fellowship or maybe there's some other decision you need to make either privately or publicly but god is not through with you yet father speak to us now with clarity and let us respond to the invitation in jesus name amen